I uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've had five days off work, so I'm all rested and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and ready to, uh, to to share what's kind of going on. Is that everyone? Yeah. Um. Oh. Sorry. Yeah. So. Let's uh, let me share as a way of intro, uh, a little bit about what I took out of um, the weekend. Um, lots of great stuff. I love what Steve shared about the transforming presence of Christ and just His Word and His presence and what that does to us. Uh, I was extremely motivated and inspired by Steve. Um, love my seminars. Went to a teaching seminar about being a teacher, and so that really connected with me. Um, went to the sexuality one, and uh, tons of discussions uh, sprung from Eric. Um, discussion of sexuality and image, uh, body image. So all that was really cool. Um, but I think most of you will probably agree with me, or will have at least recognized that the part of the weekend that like hit hit me, you know, and stuck with me was uh, our Saturday night area meeting uh, when Rick uh, shared with us about. Um, you know how our area is is doing um, with engaging the mission field, um, and it wasn't pretty. You know, uh, it was actually pretty painful. Like when Rick shared like those things, he pulled out those contact worksheets and he was going through the numbers. Like I don't know about you guys, but like I felt like I just got kicked in the stomach. <laughs> like it was like, <sighs> and uh, and it's one of those things that you know I just. It didn't feel good, um, and for some of you, like you felt like, oh, he's talking to me, you know, right? He's he's talking, and that, you know, and, and and you're like, I just, I'm not engaged in the mission. I'm not at the school enough. I'm not, you know, invested. And then others of you, maybe it felt like he was talking to you because while your contact worksheet might have been filled up, and you might be at the school all the time coaching and stuff, you know, your heart's not in it. You know. Um, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just checking boxes. God is not transforming my life the way that Steve Gardner, you know, talked about. And he's like, and so either way, whether your contact sheet was full or whether your contact sheets were empty, if you were like me, I I, I hope it felt like a wake up call or a punch to the stomach or knocked the, the wind out of you. Um, you know, part of me is like, I, is like, I knew I hated those contact worksheets, and I didn't know why until then. <laughs> I would pull them out right now. Um, and we'll come back to that but um, I was incredibly challenged with the desire um, or the push from Rick you know Rick you know very eloquently put it I'm dying for you guys to get into the mission field uh, so that you can get more of God that when you invest in kids lives and in the ministry whether it's young life or something else when you pour your life into the mission field you will see God clearly. We read the book in the fall, uh, We Would See Jesus. And I hope for this year, that was our goal. That was kind of our mindset, is all throughout this year, we would see Jesus. How can we see Jesus more in our lives, in our communities? Um, and so that was Rick's challenge, and I knew, for me, that I wasn't doing it, and I, and I sensed with the larger majority of this room that we were like, how do I engage the mission field more? Um, and so... That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to share some things that, you know, as I as soon as Rick uh, said that, a scripture popped into my mind, uh, a truth. Um, and so I went to it this week, and I looked through that chapter and through that scripture, and I pulled out some stuff, and I'm going to share it with you. Um, 
the, basically the way this talk breaks down is there's two encouragements, um, and they're very simple encouragements. Uh, they're not profound. Uh, you're going to think, wow, that's anticlimactic. Um, but the reason for these encouragements is incredible. The reason for these encouragements is life-shaking. It's life-altering. It's radical. It's something that is totally unexpected. Um, so real quick, my, uh, my two encouragements is to, one, uh, participate fully in the mission. Participate fully, completely in the mission. For most of us, that's going to be young life, uh, especially um, uh, that that encouragement is especially to the new leaders who just got placed. You know, you're just stepping in. I'm saying dive in, full out, participate fully in the mission. Um, and then the second encouragement that we will get to in a minute is uh, to persevere in the mission. Persevere in the mission. And I am. Um, I love to talk about perseverance, um, especially for older leaders. Um, but and I feel like I talk about that a lot. But it's so key to participate fully in the mission and persevere in the mission. Uh, if you got a Bible, let's go to Luke chapter nine. Today, thirtieth. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to spend a lot of time in Luke 9. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. Um, we're going to read a lot. Hopefully, uh, the word comes alive uh, in your mind and in your heart and teaches you something. I'm going to make a few points about participating and persevering um, and how they both reflect one uh, amazing reality. Let's start in uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, when Jesus called the twelve together... Uh, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So this is the twelve disciples. This is Jesus sending them out for the first time to go out and do some work uh, for his kingdom. He says, cure diseases, heal the sick, preach the kingdom, um, drive out demons. Verse 3, he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out, and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Okay? This is going to be the first point, participating uh, in the mission. Jesus sent them out. And there's tons of stuff we can pull out of that little commission. And this is um, this account of Jesus sent out the twelve is in all three synoptics. Uh, but I pick Luke because it goes with some other verses. But uh, he sends them out, and the part that I'm going to key on, there's lots of stuff we can pull out. But I want to look at verse three. He says, "Take nothing for the journey: no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic." <coughs> I think the best way to kind of you know, read scriptures, you have to read it questioning it. Like why? Why does Jesus say, take nothing for your journey? Um, and I think a lot of times we read the scriptures with our Jesus eyes or with our Christian eyes and we kind of know the answer as it's, as we're, no, take no, nothing for your journey. Oh, God wants the credit. God wants the credit for what's going to be done. And I think that's true. God does want the, want the credit for what's going to be But I'm going to push something here that maybe he's doing something more in the lives of the disciples um, 
and there's a reason for this. Um, he says, take nothing for the journey. For me, I'm like, why? That, that goes against my instincts. If, if you're going to send out people to do a mission, why would you want them to be empty-handed? Wouldn't you want them to be effective and have all the tools necessary? Why does she just want them to go? It's like he's setting them up for failure, perhaps. This isn't how we do ministry now. When we do ministry today, we don't go empty-handed. When I was a kid, uh, my church would send missionaries to Africa and, uh, and India. And like for months before they would send the missionaries away, they would put in the bulletin for everybody to you know, go out, buy a bunch of children's Tylenol, generic ibuprofens, you know, travel size toothpaste, travel size you know, toothbrushes. Um, we're going to bring it all in. We're going to pack it up in luggage uh, uh, and carry on. And we're going to send as much stuff to Africa and India to help those kids because that's what they need. And if the disciples are going to cure the sick or heal the sick and cure diseases, wouldn't it make sense that they would take bags of stuff? You know, that's how we do ministry now. Even in ministry, uh, or even in YL and Young Life, you know, when we go up to the school, do we go up empty-handed? You know, no bag, n- nothing for the dream. No, we go up, we have all kinds of stuff. We, you know, some of us play guitar, some of us are athletic, some of us are artistic, and we have little gifts and, and niches. That, um, that we're going to try and use to our advantage to meet kids. Um, we have the tool of club and camp. We've strategized about this. We've thought about it. Like We're going to go and we're going to try and you know, set up a club. We're not going empty-handed. We have a plan. We have a strategy. I'm terrible um, at contact work. Um, like Early on, especially when I was leading, like I was just the awkward guy who did contact work. <laughs> Like, show up at the school, like, right as school gets out and I'm hanging out. Be like, hey, what time is it? And they're like, it's 2.30, the same time it is every day when we get out of school. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, we're all, and, and I knew nobody, and I had no idea how to do contact work. I was just creepy. Um, <laughs> and uh, for the first few years I was leading, I, I led with Dan. Uh, or I didn't lead with Dan, I lived with Dan. We lived in the same house, apartment, and then my parents' house. Um, and Dan, if you've ever seen, is very contagious. Dan's great at contact work. You know, you never met a stranger. And so I'm trying to get stuff started at Simon Kenton, and I'm going in. I'm not meeting anybody. Dan uh, was at Boone County, and it's like Dan had knew more people at Boone County in a month than I knew at Simon Kenton in two years. And so I'm like, Dan, I was like, I was like, how do you meet so many people and get people to like you doing contact work? And he was like, I take candy. I was like, what? Uh, he, he, like, literally, he was like, yeah, I load up my pockets with like jelly bellies and my guns up. He's like, high schoolers love candy. He's like, who doesn't love candy? And so he was just going, and it's like, once you get past the creepiness of that, it, it's like, that's really smart. <laughs> like, that's a great way to meet people. And, you know, so when we talk about engaging the mission and being sent out, Jesus says, take nothing for the journey. And we're like, why? That doesn't make sense. You know, if we think logically well, we're going to do a job, we're going to take stuff. Um, I think um, what God is saying is, I want you to get in a place where when you engage the mission field, I'm going to do something. I'm going to um, meet you there. And when I meet you there, I don't want you to think 
in any sense it was because of Young Life, or in any sense it was because of club or campaigners or camp. It was not in any sense because of the candy that you brought or the medicine that you brought. I am going to do a mighty work, and you are going to be amazed at it because it's the only explanation possible. See, I don't think God was as concerned about getting the glory, and God is glorified when we go, but God is glorified even when we take medicine. You know, who thought up ibuprofen? You know, God. Who thought up the human body that it would respond that way to medicine? You know, God still gets the glory even when we use tools. Other scriptures say to be wise uh, when you act towards outsiders. So God isn't against us using tools, but I think in this moment, in the disciples' life, when he was sending them out for the first time, he was trying to teach them a lesson or a principle that when you engage in the mission field, it is not so much that the, the sick are healed, or, and that's important, but that I'm going to meet you there, and I'm going to engage you on a crazy level. The natural person interacts with the supernatural God, um, and that is a divine encounter. That is really cool. Um, and I think that's what God was getting at there. Um, let me share with you a story. Um, this is a this is a story out of one of my favorite books, uh, a book called God Smuggler, about a guy named Brother Andrew. Short story. This is not. It, this doesn't in any way advance the plot or um, of the book. Or it's just like a little side nugget of truth <laughs> that I thought was really cool in the Brother Andrew book. Um, basically, this is early on. When Brother Andrew first decides I'm going to go into full-time ministry, and we'll talk about full-time ministry in a second too, but he says, I'm going to go, you know, all out for God. And so he goes and he starts going and, and going to these conferences and joining organizations, and he has to stay with a couple called the Hopkins. And this is what, uh, this is his little two-paragraph encounter with the Hopkins. Uh, so lady, you make yourself to home here, she greeted me. You'll discover where the cupboard is, and you'll learn that the front door is never on the latch. Then she turned to her husband, and I saw in her eyes the same sparkle I had seen in his. And don't be surprised should you find a stray in your bed some night. It has happened. If by chance it happens again, there's blankets and pillows in the living room, and you can make a bedroll by the fire. Before the week was over, I was to discover how literally these words were meant. One evening, when I came back to the house after another long and fruitless wait at the work permit office, I found both Mr. and Mrs. Hopkins sitting in the living room. Don't bother going up to your room, Andrew, Mrs. Hopkins said. There's a drunk in your bed. We've had our tea and we saved you some. As I ate my meal in front of the fire, she told me about the man in my bed. Chiefly to get out of the rain, he had come in to the little storefront mission Mr. Hopkins ran, and Mr. Hopkins and brought him home. When he, when he wakes up, we'll find him some food and clothes. Mrs. Hopkins said, I don't know where they'll come from, but God will supply. See, he was staying with uh, this couple that was just open-door policy. They, they were full-time engaged in the mission, always open to whatever God brought their way. And, and, he, and that's how he ends up there. And he stays there, and, and, and the first thing she says is, hey, there's going to be some strays coming in, and you're just going to have to deal with it, because that's how we do mission work. Um, and he says, week's not over, and, and it happens. And I love that. I don't know where they'll come from. The food, the clothes, I don't know where it'll come from. But my, but God will supply. And it says, And God did. On this and on dozens of similar occasions, while I stayed with the Hopkinses, I saw God meet their practical needs in the most unusual ways. Never once did I see anyone go hungry or coatless from their house. 
It wasn't that they had money. From the profits of Mr. Hopkins' construction business, they kept just enough to supply their own modest needs. Strangers, such as myself, and the beggars, and streetwalkers, and drunks, who passed continually, <coughs> continually through their doors, had to be fed by God, and he never failed. Perhaps it was a neighbor dropping by with a casserole. Just in case you're not feeling up to cooking tonight, perhaps it was an old debt unexpectedly paid or one of the previous bed tenants returning to see if he could help. Yes, son, you can. We have an old man in the bed upstairs who has no shoes. Do you think you can, if we measured his feet, you'd find him a pair? Listen, uh, the point of this is, is that God always shows up when you engage in the mission field. He never fails. No matter what it was, and it's not always how we think he'll show up. It's sometimes it's surprising. <laughs> sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's sooner. Sometimes... But he always shows up. And that's the theme of the God Smuggler book. I suggest reading it. That the God never fails to meet you in the mission. Um, I love the story that Rick uh, tells about Kayla. And I, I don't know the story in detail. But basically it was when they went to summer camp when she was in high school. And Rick had been telling her that she had a, a passion. Or she had been telling Rick she had a passion for this girl. And then when she finally had a conversation at summer camp with this girl... Um, you know, and God worked through her to communicate the gospel and to have a response to the gospel. And she ran back to Rick and she just told him, it was awesome. God showed up. God did this. I saw him work. And when you taste, just a little taste of God meeting you in the mission field, uh, it is life-changing. And uh, I don't think you'll ever go back. Um, I, I have a few um, encounters in my life that you know, no matter whatever happens, trials, circumstances, failures, I always think back to when I poured myself out and God met me. Maybe it was in somebody meeting Christ. Maybe it was just a weird circumstance. But without fail, God will always meet you in the mission field if you participate fully in the mission. Um, a verse for that, uh, Philippians 4.19. Does anybody know that one by memory? Paul had been giving himself completely to the Philippians. And then my God Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. All your needs. Um, let's keep going in the story uh, of Luke 9. Um, I like to think of that aspect, if you want to look at it through a young life lens of him sending them out, that was like the contact work. He's sending them out to make to greet the outside people, heal their sick, tell them about God on the you know on the outside level. That was contact work. What we're going to move into here um, in the next part is what I would call the club aspect of this day in the life of this country. Uh, let's skip over seven, uh, eight, and nine. That's a little side story about John the Baptist, verse ten uh, in, Luke, in Luke nine. It says, "When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done." Now. I'm not going to make this a teaching point because I don't know if it's if it would be faithful to the scriptures. But notice that it says that they reported to Jesus what they had done. You know, God met them in the mission field and did some awesome stuff, healed some people, and they said reported what they had done. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that, but it's just an observation. It, you know, it doesn't say what God had done through them. Um, it, you know, just an observation. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they engaged in the mission and they didn't see that it was God meeting them there. And, we, and that happens to us sometimes. Um, 
But continuing on, they, they told Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Uh, I'll make a point about this withdrew. Uh, another one of the, the accounts of this in Mark chapter 6, what Jesus says to them literally is, Come and get some rest. You've, uh, you know, they've been out doing the mission field and they come back and they're telling Jesus and he looks at them and he sees they're tired. They're worn out. They, they've been, you know, however long this is, maybe it was just a day, maybe it has been days that they've been out. Uh, but he looks at them and he, can tell, and he sees that they're tired and ministry is tiring and he says, come, withdraw with me. Uh, he says, come and get some rest. And I think that's interesting. Um, because I think that's our natural incl- inclination. Again, we say, why is this in there? I think when we pour ourselves in the mission and we get tired, our natural instinct is let's withdraw. Let's go and get out of the ministry and relax. But I don't know if that's what Jesus is asking them to do. I think he's kind of leading them to a conclusion that they will soon see. Let's keep going. So he says, they withdrew. In verse 11, what does it say? It says, but the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So I don't know if you've noticed this, um, but the crowd, when they tried to pull back out of the mission, what does the crowd do? It follows them. When you engage in the mission, the mission is going to engage back into you. Um, and it's going to be hard. And when you're tired and when you're worn down and you want to get some rest, it, it's going to be tough because you're going to pull back and what does the mission do? It comes right at you. Uh, over the weekend, I was talking to uh, to Chris Cornett. Is he here tonight? Um, Chris, and we were talking about their house down in uh, Ludlow and when they lived right in the community. He's like, it was awesome. It was cool. Kids were there. Uh, it got a little out of hand and we, you know, it wasn't, but his point was is the kids were always there. He's like, he's like, you know, you, you know, you would go out and do this and that um, and you'd be tired and come home kids in the front room playing Xbox. You know, go to bed, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning, kids are still there. Um, he couldn't, when you are fully engaged in the mission, it's going to be all about you. It's going to be all over you. We went out this week on the snow day. We were, um, we were playing some football and sled riding with some kids from Ryle, um, and we were leaving, and the girl that we were kind of taking home gets on the phone, and she calls uh, Maria, uh, Maria Davis, and, uh, and she says, she says, hey, Maria, this is, you know, so-and-so. I'm going to get so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And we're going to come over to your house and we're going to play Settlers of Catan. <laughs> and, uh, and the funny thing is, is this was about like 5 o'clock and I knew the Davises had somewhere to be at like 6 o'clock because, you know, we were going there with them. And, but it was funny, the girl didn't even ask. You know, hey, Maria, we're coming over. We're going to be over there. And, and I, don't, I don't know what she said on the other side, but it was pretty quick. It was just like, okay, bye. And, uh, uh, and then a few minutes later, I'm thinking to myself, they aren't going to be there for, you know, for that. Uh, they, I get a call, they get a call back from the Davises saying, hey, you know, come on over. You can use our space, um, but you know, we can't be here. we got to get out of here. But I was struck by you know, high schoolers, when you engage in the minute, they don't really have courtesy. They don't really. They don't realize that you're tired and want rest, like, or that you have family and other things to do. They are coming, and you, you know, rest or not, you need to be there, or at least be willing to accommodate and meet some needs. Um, how many people have the uh, campaigner kid or the discipleship kid who, like, when he calls you and you don't answer, is like rapid redial? <laughs> like, it's like you're away from your phone for ten minutes. You come back, you have five missed calls. It's like, man. <laughs> It's like, I was with my grandma. <laughs> uh, 
it's relenting. It, or it doesn't relent. Relentless. Relentless. There you go. Um, I felt like that was kind of me. That was kind of me on Leader Weekend. A lot of times we feel this way with Leader Weekends. Uh, like this is my chance to get away from students and uh, and kind of relax and be refueled. Uh, and I don't know about you, but Rick's state of the area talk like totally killed that for me. <laughs> I was like, this was supposed to be my chance to like rest and just enjoy it, and immediately I felt like the guilt, like not with students. Um, and the funny thing is, is I think Jesus does the same thing that Rick did with us right here with the disciples. Look at this. He pulls them away to get rest, and I think Jesus knows that mission is going to continue to follow them. Um, and he brings the disciples to this point. Look in verse 12, where the disciples say, Late in the afternoon, so we know it's been a good time now, because it says late. Uh, the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a new place. They have been brought to the point where they've been doing ministry so long and so much that they're like, Send them away. This is like opposite of the heart of God right here. You know, God says, Come to me. The disciples are so exhausted in ministry, they're saying, send them away. We can't do it. And look at Jesus' response to them. Much like Rick's response to us Saturday night. He says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. When they are tired, when they're exhausted, when they have nothing left, he says, you're not done. You give them something to eat. In other words, persevere. Push on through. I love what they say. They say, uh, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, you know, how are we going to do this? We have nothing. No. When they went out the first time, they took nothing. Now they've got even more than they had before. Now they've got five loaves and two fish, and they still like, they don't see that God is going to meet them there. It's not them, but if they persevere, God will continue to do work. He says, you give them something to eat. And so, uh, it says... There's about 5,000 of them. He said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. And everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now look at this. This is the, uh, this is the clincher of the story. And this is the, the application. They all ate and were satisfied. This word, uh, well, first notice that it was all. All 5,000 and the disciples. The disciples were satisfied. Alright. That word satisfied, uh, this is what the Gospels are all about. Satisfaction in Christ. That Jesus is all that you can ever need or ever want. And the way to get it is through mission. Through continuing to persevere in the mission. Um, that word satisfied doesn't mean just like content. It doesn't mean they just ate and had a little bit and it's like, okay, I'm, I'm holding over. Literally means it means busting. I am, you know, so full that I'm overflowing. And it literally does overflow. If you look, uh, uh, they were all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. How many disciples were there? 12. 12. So each of them, every single one of them, picked up a basketful of leftovers. I read what they did is at the time they wore those robes and like the belts and what they actually had was like a little wicker basket that they would kind of hang on their side. Not a huge basket, but a big basket that they could pick stuff up and carry stuff. And so each disciple has a basket on his hip 
and as you know, everybody's dispersing after the meal, they're going around and picking it up, and I imagine their astonishment. They are exhausted, they're tired, but they're satisfied. That they found rest in God. That they found satisfaction in Christ. They're picking up and they're like, oh my gosh, my basket's filling up. Where's all this coming from? And they come back to the group and, and you. And, and your basket's full too. And there's 12 of them all with full baskets of overflow of Christ and His power of meeting them. Um, it's pretty cool. Those are uh, my two encouragements. Uh, to participate fully in the mission um, just like Christ uh, encouraged them to do and to perse- persevere. But got a little bit of scripture left uh, in this passage and I want to show you this, those two things are very common. I teach on them all the time. You've probably taught them. You've heard it. Participate fully and persevere. But here's the why. Um, and I've said it over and over again. This is, um, this is the uh, least climactic uh, final point. But it's so radical. Um, and this is why I think Jesus proves legit over every other religion, opportunity, um, God, you know, philosophy. Because he says something so radical that it holds true. Look, uh, the next little thing, they kind of get away. And in all the accounts of this, this is always kind of right after maybe a day or two. uh, Peter's confession of Christ. I feel like this is kind of like their small group Bible study. Like they've gone through, they've done contact work. Then they have like a club experience. Now a day or two later, they're getting together with the disciples in their small group. And they're going to talk to Jesus about who who God is and what is this. And uh, Jesus, uh, like all good uh, small group leaders, starts it with a question. And he, uh, he says, Who do the crowds, this is verse 18, Who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that uh, one of the prophets long ago. And then, like a, good, like a good small group leader, he makes it personal. He says, But what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, You're right. And he goes on to predict his death. And he tells him how I'm going to die for the sins of the world. And uh, and my first thought when I was reading through this logically, I was like, why did Jesus not have this conversation before? <laughs> Wouldn't it have made more sense to nail down that he was the Christ, the Savior of the world, the, the, the payment for sin, the ultimate land? Wouldn't it have made sense to tell them before they went into the mission field? And, and all that stuff. Why is it now that Peter says and has the epiphany, you're the Christ? I think... It's because of what we were just talking about. Participating and persevering. God showed up to them and became real. Before this, Peter might have been able to say, yeah, you're, you're the Christ. You've been telling us this from day one. That, you know, you know, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We've heard this. We, he might have kn- knew it. But after engaging in the mission, participating and persevering, now it is real. Now it, it flows in his heart. Who do you say to him? You're the Christ. And this is one of Peter's good moments. You know, Peter is like the epitome of foot in the mouth syndrome. And this is where he gets it right. Um, and I think the reason he gets it right is because of those two points. And this leads us to the end. And um, this is my reason uh, for why those other two encouragements are so important. Um, I would call this the promise to the missionary. Um, so you want to participate in the mission and you want to persevere in the mission. Why? Because of the promise. And here's the promise in verse uh, 23. And this is the verse I thought of as, as Rick was um, teaching us on Saturday night. 
It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is radical. This is unbelievable. This doesn't make any sense apart from God. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Literally give it away. But whoever loses his life, gives his life away for me, for the mission, will save it or will find it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? This is the promise. The promise to the missionary. This is why God never failed Brother Andrew. This is why God will never fail you. This is why God meets you in the mission field when you participate fully and when you persevere because it's a bizarre, unshakable truth that says when you give your life away for Christ, you receive it back. You know, we talk about uh, a huge verse in young life is John 10.10b. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Well, the first part of that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. See, when you are pouring yourself into ministry and you're not getting any satisfaction back uh, and you just feel empty and like there's nothing left, maybe it's because of your mindset, your motives, you're letting Satan steal your life away. You're giving under compulsion. I'm just checking boxes. I have to do this. Your life is being taken from you rather than the one who lays it down willfully for Christ. When you do that, you will find it. And I think what the scriptures would scream is that you would find life and life to the fullest. Uh, I'll go ahead and pass this out. Uh, you can kind of get this. This is just uh, this is the story that I shared, uh, the Brother Andrew story. Um, and then on the other side, there's a bunch of scriptures that I didn't talk about um, that kind of echo this promise. And if we have um, a second, we will. Um, I'm sorry. Give one of those points. Um, we can look at some of those. But it, it's amazing how much this shows up over and over in Scripture. Um, but uh, I think I look, this story, uh, or this saying of whoever loses his life for my sake will uh, save it, uh, occurs five times in the Gospel. Listen to this. Yeah, while well, they're on the feet. Uh one of the, uh, it's one of the only teachings that shows up in all four Gospels, the three synoptics and John. Um, so it's pretty essential. It shows up in all four of them. It shows up five times total. Similar teachings, um, such as the last will be first, um, show up at least seven times, um, probably more if you counted all the ones that said whoever is a servant would be the greatest. But this central teaching, at least 12 times, probably greater in the four Gospels, that says, if you give your life away, you will meet God. Uh, he will show up and satisfy you. It's all over. You could say it's probably the core, uh, in a lot of ways, of Jesus' teaching. So it's a big deal. Um, but there's some verses on there about participating, how when you participate, God shows up. How when you persevere, God blesses. Um, here. Uh, if you look at those verses on the sheet, it says taste and see. So when you experience God, blessed is the man who takes refuge. Uh, whoever has my commands and obeys them, what happens if you obey? God shows himself to you. Uh, Matthew 28, therefore go. What happens when you go? Surely I am with you always. 
on down the, the thing. I'm not going to read them all, but it's incredible how every time the scriptures say to go into the mission, God says, and I'm going to meet, you're going to see me there. And every time the scriptures say to persevere, God says, because I'm going to reward you. Um, always meet you there. I'll finish up with this. It's a... Uh, like I said, I felt like Saturday night was the most convicting and challenged I've been in a long time in young life. Um, and it, ha- it had nothing to do with young life. It's just that's our ministry to high school students. If you were in a different ministry, it would be the same. But the idea to engage the mission, um, I just felt like I'm missing out, honestly. And um, Jesus' words cut right to the heart. You feed them. Who do you say that I am? Whoever will lose his life will save him. Rick's words about, you know, these contact worksheets are terrible, guys. We're not participating in the mission. We're not going to see God. Uh, you're not going to have all of them in your life that you could have. Uh, they just cut right to the heart. Um, I thought of it like this. Had some snow days this week, so I was waking up a little bit later. Normally I wake up, it's dark. And this week I'm waking up and it was, it was very light. Um, and have you ever noticed when you wake up and you're used to the darkness and you're sleeping and you're tucked down in your room and you wake up and you, that light hits you, and you immediate, your immediate reaction is, I want to get back under the covers, I want to shut my eyes. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I feel with those uh, contact worksheets. <laughs> when those contact worksheets, I, I see those things as the light of the promise. The promise that whoever will lose his life will find it. That's what that contact work screams at you. That contact work she screams at you. And so as soon as they come around, my immediate reaction is, no! But what I have to do is I have to rejoice. I have to be thankful that that sheet is in my life telling me, don't forget this promise. Don't forget that if you give your life away, you will find it. And, you know, we're all going to have you know bad weeks on that, uh, and I have tons of them. Uh, and some of us are going to have great weeks, and I might have one every now and then. But when you have a bad week on the content worksheet, that's no more a letter of condemnation than it is a trophy when you do a good job. All it is is it's the light saying, hey, remember, if you're not giving your life away, you're not going to find it. God cannot meet you if you don't show up, if you don't obey. Um, so... That's what I learned. Uh, let's read it one more time. Uh, Luke 9, 23-25. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self?